stand at the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and strong word. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which... He said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things as they were looking on, He was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. Beloved, this is the word of Christ to us this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking, Acts chapter 1, to us this morning because He loves us greatly. The disciples didn't quite know what to do at the end of our passage when Jesus was taken up out of their sight And the fact that Jesus is now out of your sight and my sight challenges us. I want you to think about this morning. How is it that the lack of Jesus' presence and appearance here on earth How does that affect your life? Out of sight? Out of mind? When the cat's away, the mice will play. Those are options for how people live Because Jesus has been taken out of their sight. Some people, you could say, treat Jesus like he's the Geico Gator. You know, 
the commercial when the alligator enjoys all the food and it's time to pay up and the alligator says, can't reach the check. Some people, it's an option to you to treat Jesus because he's so far away, like he can't help you at all. Well, what does Acts 1 teach us? Acts 1, 1 through 11 in one sentence teaches us this. And this is so important to your everyday life. If the Lord is gone, his spirit is coming. If the Lord is gone, his spirit is coming. And we see this point made by the author of Acts in in three sections. We see, first of all, in verses 1 through 5, Jesus saying, wait for the promise. This is point number one. Jesus is saying, I'm going away from you, but what you should be doing since I'm going away from you is wait for the promise. We see in verse 1 that Acts is really part 2 of of Dr. Luke's account to Theophilus. This is a this is a Greek man who uh who had heard testimony and started to believe in this man that he had heard of, this Jewish king. And Luke has been writing to Theophilus and he gives him uh, these accounts of Jesus for this purpose. In Luke chapter 1, he told us it was to put asphalt under a new believer's feet. He says, I'm going to give you certainty. It's the word asphalt. It's the same word we get asphalt from. Something you can stand on. And Acts is part two of Luke's effort to give certainty, not just to this Greek man, But as this comes to us this morning, Luke is trying to give us certainty that Jesus, listen, is not just the king of the Jews. He wants you and me to live in light of the fact that this is rock solid, that Jesus and what happens to him in this passage and in all the Bible is something that your soul can stand on. You can run on the truths of Jesus. You can jump on this, the certainty and build your life upon the certainty of what we see, even in this passage this morning. So Luke continues this account of Theophilus in verses 2 and 3, and he says, I want you to think about this truth, Theophilus. Jesus is alive. When His appearance is absent. When you cannot see Him, Theophilus, just think about this. He is alive. Luke says in verses 2 and 3, after Jesus had proven that though He suffered, He proved that even though He suffered and died on the cross... He was, in fact, alive after dying. Verse 4, And while Jesus was staying with His disciples, He gave them an order not to depart from Jerusalem, but instead they should wait 
for the promise of the Father that Jesus says in verse 5, you heard this from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is really curious why the Lord Jesus would remind them of that promise. At the end of Jesus' stay on the earth, the last thing He wants them to hear, the first thing He wants us to hear this morning, is His reminder to His apostles of His baptism. At the beginning of His ministry, He's saying, remember when John was calling God's people to be baptized, to come to the Jordan. He was calling them to show that they have a desire for what what Michael read to us earlier in Isaiah 40, that, that God would return to them. They were to show that they actually want God to come back by being baptized, by confessing their sins in, in baptism. They were to say, God, we want you to come back and be our God. And Jesus reminds them of that right before he goes into heaven. Why would he do this? Remember how I let John baptize me, Jesus says, even though I had no sins to confess. Remember how John said about me, I will immerse you in water, but Jesus will fill you with God. Jesus is going to baptize you into and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Luke is looking at this new believer, Theo. And he's saying, look, I know at this point in your new walk with Christ that you're probably coming to some common questions that people have about Jesus. And I don't want you to make the wrong conclusions. Listen to me, church. There are lots of people who make the wrong conclusions about why Jesus suffered and why we can't see Him. If Jesus is God, why would He be baptized by a sinner? Surrounded by other sinners. As if he was a sinner. And if if Jesus is the king of the world, why was he killed? Not just by Rome, but to the delight of his own people. What kind of king is this? Theophilus, you may be wondering these kinds of things. And I want you to understand, the answer to all those questions is because of the promise that Jesus made in His baptism. Verse 4 says, wait for the promise. Verse 5 then explains what the promise is. Listen to me, church. I'm trying to put certainty under you. When a lot of people have questions about what do we do with this so-called Jesus, who we can't even see. If God has promised to not just be with His people, 
but to live inside of his people. If that's what the promise is. And we know that God cannot live in the midst of sin. Therefore, if that is the promise, that that God is actually going to come and live inside of people, then the first thing that has to happen is His people have to be emptied of sin. And God's Son comes and He delivers that promise by delivering Himself to suffer. That's why He suffered for sinners. It was to die and be buried. That is pictured in baptism. That's why that's the first thing that happens in His ministry is He goes and He gets baptized to show this is what I'm going to do because holiness requires that sinners be emptied of their sin if God is ever going to live inside of them. And so Jesus is saying, look, the world is going to have a version of the story for why I suffered. And how that proves that I am not God and how that proves that I am not the King. But I'm alive. I'm not dead anymore. And I'm showing you that the reason I suffered for sinners is so that I can give what the world's been waiting so long for. I've come to give forgiveness. Beloved, I hope that's good news to you. If you recognize yourself as a sinner, Jesus came to provide God's promise for forgiveness, but that's not the end of all the goodness Jesus comes to give. Why would you want to be forgiven? It's not that so you can spend the rest of your life not feeling guilty anymore. The reason for His forgiveness is so that we can be filled with God. He comes to empty us of sin, not just for our conscience, but so that we can be this container of God, so that we can live with Him. And so He says, when I go, verse 4, don't go anywhere. Because when I go, I'm going to get you what I promised. Wait for the promise that I will give you when I'm gone. That's verses 1 through 5. But then in verses, two, or in verses 6 through 8, we have point number 2, which is when I'm gone, Jesus says, witness to the end. When the disciples hear this great promise and what they should do, They ask this question in verse 6 that Luke records for us. They say, will you now restore rule? They go to their Lord and their God. And they communicate to Him, look, it sure feels like Rome is top dog. It doesn't feel like you're, you're ruling this world. And so they ask him, is it time for the powers to be to now be you and us? Is is it time now, Jesus, for peace and prosperity for us and all the things that you promised whenever you said that the kingdom would come? That's the question that they are asking. Friends, we ask questions about the times and the seasons as well. We, uh, our minds and our wonderings go to Russia 
and the rapture and ISIS and stock markets and signs and blood moons and charts. And I want you to hear, whenever you're curious about those things, I want you to hear what Jesus says in verses 7 and 8. When you are focused on those things, you've completely missed the point. If that is your curiosity and your interest, you have completely missed the point. What I want you to see in our passage is the way that these questions are functioning. Their question in verse 6 and then the angel's question in verse 11. Come to correct us from missing the point. They're saying, will you restore rule? And then Jesus gives an answer. You will receive power. So verse 7, Jesus says, look, the details of all that you are asking for, that's my father's business. I'm not telling you. It's the Father's business. It's not your business. Verse 8 is your business. Verse 8 is what you should be focused on, not verse 6. So, and I think there's a sense in which he's saying, you should be encouraged. Yeah, you're a persecuted people, and you're about to receive power. And yes, my kingdom is coming, but it's not in the way that you think. Verse 4, Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to give you the promised spirit. And then in verse 8, he tells us what he, the spirit, will give us. And that is power. There's so much confusion about the book of Acts. Let me clarify at least this point. What is the power for? What do you want? The all-powerful Spirit of God to come into your life and do. What is it that you are praying for strength to do or to experience? And a very obvious correction comes in verse 8. We should not be just asking the Spirit to bring living large into our experience. People who receive forgiveness for a life filled with ignoring Jesus, those people do not go on focusing on themselves. If we've been forgiven from ignoring Jesus, and that's what you need to be forgiven of, is ignoring Jesus. That's what's wrong with the things that we do wrong, is it's an ignoring of Jesus. People who are forgiven of ignoring Jesus do not go on focusing on themselves, and that will be proven or not in what you ask for strength for. Jesus does not send His Spirit so that we can get bigger and better. To have the kingdom come in my experience. 
Do not miss the point of this power. The Spirit of Jesus, verse 8, comes to empower witness for Jesus. That's the point of the power. To empower witness for Jesus. Not about you, about Him. Now, Two more clarifications since there's so much confusion. Number one, just look at the very opening passage of Acts and see that you should never put the Spirit of God against the Word of God. No no more of this talk of we're a spirit people versus you're a word people. They are never separate. The Spirit came into the world to give witness to Jesus. The Spirit and the Word are always together. And Stop with all this thoughts about separating the Spirit from Jesus. That is what the Spirit has come to do, is is for Jesus, not just for you and your personal experience and joy in this life. The Spirit is always only coming to give witness to Jesus. He's all about Jesus. Jesus says, when I'm gone... Stay in Jerusalem until you receive power for this purpose to spread the news of my kingdom to the end of the earth. Now, church, the Christian culture that we live in is really quick to buy books about the end times. I think if you want to have a popular Bible study You do something on the end times. But Jesus says it's not time for that. It's not time for speculation and wondering. Now is not the time about wondering about the future, he says in verse 7. Or worrying about the future. What's going to happen to America? Who cares? Don't think about that. What's going to happen if my kids get left behind? That's not what you should be focused on, Jesus says. The winds and the whys are my father's business. Wondering, listen to me, wondering and worrying will only keep you from your business, which is witnessing to the end of the earth, which means to every person under the reach of your voice. So St. Patrick had it right. And that famous thing that he said, he said, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. May everyone who sees me and thinks about me be thinking about and seeing and hearing Christ. Because his whole life, he said, was about Acts 1 verse 8. If the Lord's gone, his spirit is coming. Point number three, from verses 9 through 11. Why do you stand gazing? Why do you stand gazing? In verse 9, look there, Jesus is lifted up from his disciples. And then in verses 10 and 11, they, his disciples are gazing up for Jesus. He's lifted up from them, and then they are gazing up for him. 
We live in a world that makes light of sin. Our world normalizes sin. It dignifies sin. It it celebrates rebellion against God and cruelty to people. And Christian, for the sake of your witness, which is the purpose of your life, be very careful that you are not like the world in this. I, I mean, when, when you hate people talking to you about your sin, don't you hate that? Aren't you really good? A change in the subject. You know, enough about me. Let's talk about you and your sin. We have loads of excuses for our own sin. Why would we even call it sin? For us, it's more like mistakes. Beloved, let us repent. Listen. Every time that you or I make an excuse or we shift blame or we think that our sin is not that bad compared to others, we are killing our witness. We are killing our witness. What we're saying every time in every way that we make light of our sin is I don't really need a Savior and therefore you don't either. The world needs our witness. And look at all that had to happen after just one bite of fruit. It took centuries And it took stages for God to fix that one sin. For one sin. In order for the best good old boy you know, the best good old girl you know in this world, in order for anyone to live with God, God had to come in the flesh. God had to be tempted in every way. God had to be killed on a cross. He had to be perfect. He had to be God. He he could have no sins at all to die for himself. And then he had to be raised because otherwise we would go to hell forever if God did not accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But not only did he have to be raised here, he has to ascend. And he's not even done with all of his work now. He has to ascend so that he can then send the Spirit to apply the work that he has accomplished. Beloved, never make light of sin. All of this is necessary. He had to descend so that he could ascend. And now the Spirit is at work through our witness. The question in verses 10 and 11 that the, that the angels come and ask, these two men in white robes are clearly Angels, they, it shows that gazing up for Jesus totally misses the point of why he was lifted up. 
these angels show up. I like to think of James standing there and saying, Pete, would you look at that? I mean, Jesus is forever doing stuff you can't see anywhere else. Look up at that. He just went up in the clouds, just poof. They come up and they rebuke this goofy gazing. Don't stand there in disbelief like this is just some parlor trick to be impressed with. They they ask him in verse 11, are you going to ignore that guy? The promise he just made you, are you just going to ignore his order? He ordered you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. You're just going to stand there. Now you might look in verse 11 and be confused. Why they say, why are you just standing there? Don't you know he's going to return from there? You might think, well, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We are supposed to be living for the return of Christ and always watching for Him. That's not what the angels say. But listen, listen. If you're a believer, you will understand that there is a world of difference between being gone and being a goner. The world treats Jesus like He's a goner. He's gone. He's not a goner. There is a world of difference between being absent and being ascended. And if you're here and you are somebody who, if you are honest, you give very little thought to Jesus. And maybe that you, you defend that because, and, and this may all go un, underneath the surface. You may not actually be consciously thinking this, but, but because you can't see him, you don't pay much attention to him. He's just some character in an old story that some people get too excited about. Listen to what Isaiah says. I understand that the grass withers. I understand that the flower fades. But that does, don't treat God like it's everything else you see. I understand that in your life when someone's gone, you're never going to see him again. But gone for Jesus doesn't mean he's nowhere. Jesus was lifted to the throne of heaven. And, and there's something someone else said about verse 9 and Jesus being gone. God said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I'm going to put all your enemies under your feet and you're going to crush them. Listen, sinner. You are the enemy of the ascended Lord. Are you going to continue treating Jesus like he's just a man and only believe that he could do what you've seen others do? Or are you going to believe the witness of this passage that Jesus came to save sinners even though You have ignored him for your entire life. He will forgive you if you bow your knee, repent of sin, and trust in him. And you better do it, because he's coming. The angels look at the disciples, and they say, 
Don't just stand there. Do something. And what they're saying is, disciples, go get your promise. Stop standing there and go get your promise. Now, this can be an encouragement for us when we see uh, the disciples uh, so slow on the uptake. I mean, they're, they're standing there with a stupid look on their face. Uh, they, don't, they don't know what to do next. It's like they have just gotten amnesia. They've totally forgotten the advantage of the ascension. The advantage of the ascension of Jesus ascending into heaven is the sending of the Spirit. And they've totally forgotten that the Spirit's coming to Jerusalem. According to verse 12, they're not in Jerusalem. They've got to go back to Jerusalem. So stop standing there. Do something. Are you just going to stand there? They say, until the ascended Lord reappears, do you really want what he has promised to send you? Then go get it. If the Lord has gone up there and he is seated, then his witnesses shouldn't just be standing. Living, listen, living for the return of Jesus does not mean passively just looking for Jesus. If that's what you think it means, living for the return of Jesus does not ever mean just living passively, looking into the clouds, hoping he comes back. You've got a job to do. Don't just stand there. Do something. And the disciples do. They go where the Lord told them to go so that they can do what he told them to do. Church, do not let the fact that you cannot see Jesus right now lead you to just stand around stupidly. Jesus is not absent. He's ascended. Don't act like you've got nothing to do. Lay hold and experience the promise. That's what they were to go do. Go get your promise. The Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus is gone to get God in us. The main thing that we should want is what the world waited thousands of years for Jesus to get for us, which is the presence of God. That's why he came and that's why he left. Do you want God? Do you, are you satisfied with the level of experience of God you have in your life? Or do you want more of this promised spirit? Well, don't stand around ignoring the promise. Maybe for us it's scrolling down. Just scrolling through other people's stories and other people's lives and other people's pictures. As if we don't care at all that Jesus came and he's gone. Don't just stand there. Do something. Seek his presence. Go to him in prayer. You can talk to him now because of what Christ did. He will listen to you now. You can experience him in his word. That's what the spirit brings is a witness that we get to carry around with us. Do you want what Christ has given? But I think if the angels were speaking to us, they wouldn't just say, don't just stand there, do something. They would say to us, don't just stand there, say something. Beloved, we are not given the presence of God just to enjoy it for ourselves. Just to chase new spiritual highs. Don't be that kind of Christian. Who's just chasing new spiritual highs of power in the presence of God. 
they go to the place of empowering so that they could leave that place and witness. And that's what we should do. The theme that we're going to see throughout the whole book of Acts is this. The ascended Lord sends his spirit to spread his word. That's what the whole book is about. The ascended Lord sends his spirit to spread his word. And Acts chapter 1 tells us that this ascension has happened. And so witness can now spread throughout the whole world. So if you're a, a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in Christ, why would you spend your life gazing for some great thing to do as if you've not already been given it? So much of our prayers and our life is spent, what can I do that's important? Why does my life not count for anything? Has he not left us something that is worthy of our entire life? Don't be looking for anything else. Verse 8, notice this, is not just about Southeast Asia. It's not just about Kenya. It's about Graham. Do you see Graham listed in verse 8? It is in verse 8. To the end of the earth. That means your home. That means your street. That means your office, your school. Young County, and everywhere. Go to the place of empowerment so that you can go to those places with witness. Go to Him in prayer. Ask Him, God, give me power. I'm so insecure about sharing the gospel with my family or with my neighbors or with my coworkers. What are they going to say? What are the other students going to say if I really live for Christ and I challenge them to live for Christ? You need power, beloved. I need power because what happens for us is what happened for the disciples. We get so distracted so that we don't do what one thing He's called us to do. And we schedule witness right outside of our life. We schedule our calendars so full. We have no room for the one thing we've been given Christ's Spirit for. So I think we should change our questions from, have I witnessed today? That should be a given. And instead, we should say, and we should recognize, how have I witnessed today? You're witnessing every day. And, and silence is a witness. And busyness and worldliness is a witness. It says that the ascended Lord is not worth talking about. Or the Father's promise to forgive us and then live inside of us is not as important as my friendships or my money. If you're worried about what to say or what you're going to lose if you say it, Look around you. And when you don't see Jesus bodily in front of you, let that be a reminder. As sure as I don't see him, his power is mine. That's what him not being seen should say to us. He left my sight to send me power. So when I don't see him face to face... The power is there that I need. Friends, each of us has to decide what we're going to do because we cannot see Jesus. 
And the Jews made their decision. Out of sight, out of mind. That's a Jewish way to deal with Jesus, is apparent absence. They think we shut him up. Now we don't have to worry about him. Listen. Do you think like a Jew? Very little about Jesus. The world has decided what to do because they cannot see Jesus. If the cat's away, the mice will play. This is what unbelievers do. Unbelievers think that because they can't see a throne and they can't see a crown, then they can spend their life playing for pleasure. Don't you live like it's okay to be selfish with the king? Even Christians can have the attitude that they cannot count on Jesus. He can't reach. He must be too far away. I need all this power. I'm so weak. I don't need a witness. He's absent. He can't do anything. How does the lack of Jesus' presence affect your life? Listen, if it's absence, that is a problem. But if it's ascension and the Spirit of Christ is here because we can't see Christ, that's not a problem. That means power. If the Lord's gone, His Spirit's coming. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause us to live in light of the ascension. We want to be a people who testify and witness to the cross and the resurrection, also the ascension. Make us those who give witness to that by not being fearful, but living out in the midst of our weakness, out of your power. And Lord, cause us to lift our eyes far above all the things that this world is focused on. Cause us to to not treat Jesus in our hearts or in our lives, the way that this world treats him. Fill our minds, Holy Spirit, with the truths of Christ. And fill our lives with holiness for our King. And then fill our mouths with words and witness about him. Oh God, make this so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.